Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, You'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting down with the icon, the legend, Apollo Anton Ono, the most decorated U.S. Winter Olympian of all time. Today, you're going to learn about greatness. You're going to learn about the commitment required to living out massive dreams, to doing big things in your life, to embrace change to take things to the next level, to understand the greatness required and the commitment required to achieve greatness. But you're also going to learn about the inner game. You're going to learn about the mindset of a multiple, you know, really an eight time medalist Olympian champion. You're going to learn about how that relates to how you can grow your business. You're going to learn about the correlation of the patterns of the tremendous commitment the tremendous growth pattern that Apollo has been on his entire life. You're also going to have an extraordinarily fun time learning about how he has reinvented himself, the commitments that he makes on a daily basis, and some tips and strategies on how you can do the same. I'm just so excited about this conversation. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Today is absolutely in all of those categories. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. I am so excited to welcome you to this episode. Uh, If it's your first time listening, welcome to Elevate. So glad to have you here. If you've been here before, welcome back. So excited to be able to pour into your cup today. The fee for listening is to pay it forward and share this episode with one friend. All you have to do is grab the link and send in a text message, email, DM on social media, or post it on social media. That's all you have to do. We just ask for your introduction. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we earn the value of your referral, just like any other business. Um, you know, that's what we're in the business of doing is spreading this message that you can do anything that you want in your life. And it comes down to mindset, mind expansion, personal development. And by the way, we love real estate investing because you know what? It's uh, it's a beautiful way to create cash flow. It's a beautiful way to grow your wealth, to create more options in your life and to create financial freedom. And of course, emotional freedom, you know, along the way through personal development, through mindset, mind expansion, but creating greater skills through that mind expansion, through delving into that mindset the collection of creating a fulfilling life. And so my opinion, you know what, there's other vehicles out there. Real estate is a phenomenal one. In fact, I think it's the best one, but the key and the correlation for people who want to live big dreams, it comes down to development of yourself and uh, understanding the depths of our mind. And we're going to talk about mindset and why it helped Apollo unlock so much greatness himself today. Also, want to give you, uh, I want to encourage you to give us a rating, review, and subscribe, or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcast. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Apollo Anton Ono, who claimed his first major speed skating title at the U.S. Championships at the age of fourteen. And you're going to hear about that, by the way, in today's episode. After just six months of training. Over the next decade and a half, he went from a kid prodigy to the most decorated U.S. Winter Olympian in history, a title he still holds, earning eight Olympic medals in short track speed skating across 2002, 2006, and 2010 Winter Games. Following the Vancouver 2010 Olympic Games, Apollo took his understanding of sports psychology and his personal experience with success and setbacks to develop a resilient and mission-driven approach to life. He wrote a book on this subject, Zero Regrets 
which was released in 2011 and went on to become a New York Times bestseller. Apollo remains involved in the Olympic movement. He was an NBC analyst uh, for the Sochi 2014 and Pyeongchang 2018 Winter Games and as a global ambassador for the Special Olympics and Winter Olympics. He's currently on the bid committees for the Winter Games in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles, California. He also has continued to push himself in the world of sport, which was when he won the season four of ABC's hit reality show, Dancing with the Stars, and finishing the 2014 Ironman World Championship Triathlon in Kona, Hawaii in less than 10 hours. Apollo has spent most much of the past decade traveling the world and translating his success and life lessons to business. The bulk of his time uh, is in Asia was, was spent immersed in exploration of various business sectors ranging from rare earth mining and development to infrastructure and software. He also completed the eight-week executive education curriculum at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania alongside executive track business people from some of the world's top companies through his speaking engagements with hundreds of organizations from Fortune 100 companies to nonprofits, Apollo has helped business leaders think about what it takes to develop a high-performance mindset and remain relevant in a world which uncertainty is the norm. And that is so true, and you're going to hear about that today. He has contemplated how individuals, be they executives or those on the front line, find motivation and consistently do their best work. He is passionate about helping others not only achieve, but exceed what they believe to be possible in both life and business. Apollo's most recent work has centered around the concept of reinvention, an undertaking in which he has demonstrated mastery. His life has been defined not just by performing at the highest level in various arenas, but also by regularly pursuing new goals and tackling new challenges, all while ma maintaining his iconic positive attitude and unmatched energy. Apollo continues to bring these attributes every new endeavor and every business engagement. And that is so true. You're going to see that today. You're going to see that come through in terms of his positive energy and uh, just his fun attitude. I just welcome you to enjoy this fun, this insightful, this motivating, this inspiring and instructive conversation with the great, the truly great Apollo Ono. Apollo Ono, what a pleasure, my friend. Welcome to Elevate. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me. Man, I, I'm so excited uh, to be able to you know speak with you today. And it's funny, I was just telling you right before we got started, while I was spending time getting familiar with you and your story, of course, you know, like many, you know, I've been familiar with the the athletic achievements that you've had, you know, in your life. And uh, many people have admired that and appreciated that. And of course, there's been such a rallying cry that there was such a big rallying cry for, you know, Americans for the things that you were doing uh, back in the day. And it's been really fun to get familiar with you more so as a human being as well. And so I'm excited about introducing you to Elevate Nation. And one of the ways that I'd love to do that is, Apollo, if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best would describe you, you know, obviously you're known as sort of an icon in many ways and America's most decorated winter Olympian of all time, of course, an eight time Olympic medalist and now an entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author. But for the people who know you best, what would they say about Apollo Ono? You, I mean, the good stuff or the bad stuff? Uh, <laughs> Give me the, it all, man. The good, bad, and the ugly. Let's hear it. Uh, I mean, I, I like to think that people like who are closest to me know that I'm like deeply committed to the projects and the career paths that I'm focused on. Um, I think they've probably seen me change pretty drastically, or at least maybe perhaps reinvent myself in a certain way. I don't know. You know, I, I, I've never actually asked my friends too much around like how they view me. Although we've like discussed kind of the elements of like, you know, how have you seen me change? Has it been for the better? Do you see me progressing through life in a way that makes me feel like I'm living my life versus like chasing my life? Um, which I spent a long time obviously chasing in, in sport. Yeah, I, I think that I'm probably in the best place that I've been at least cognitively and mentally in a very, very long time. I think it comes with age as well, right? As, as we grow and we make mistakes and we learn from them and we understand ourselves a little bit better, why our behavioral conditioning is the way that it is. And can we break that cycle to seek like new paradigms of improvement for ourselves and also greater levels of fulfillment? All those things I think my friends would say kind of about me. On the other side, you know, um, I'm impatient. I say yes, probably too much to things. Um, which like overloads like the amount of time that I have in a day. I, I, you know, like I look at my schedule 
as a way that someone whose eyes are bigger than their stomach when they order food. Right. Like, right. So like, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I have like a 15 minute window there. Like, why don't we squeeze something in? And then next thing I know, like I'm on a boardroom call, like on mute, um, no camera, like while I'm in the shower, cause it's the only time that I have to take a shower during the day. Cause every <laughs> single 15 minutes is like booked up through the day. So it's been, it's been something I'm, I'm working on. Um, but I'm, I'm growing, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. Right. I think I turned 40 in May this year and I don't feel 40. Um, I don't think that I'm 40 because I think a lot of my life had been stunted when I was training for the Olympics. Um, and so I'm like, you know, this kind of call it this past 12 years of this like new personal development journey of just trying to kind of create more high quality moments and experiences in my life and also help others do the same has been really, really interesting to see how that's unfolded. <clears throat> so I still feel somewhat young and, 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 um, energetic in that perspective. So, you know, turning 40 this year is, uh, it's like a milestone. So I really start to kind of recalibrate like where and how will I define my life in the next decade? You know, like when I turn 50, what can I say about the past 10 years that were just amazing? And how do I lean into those types of things a little better? I think the leadership that you show in terms of reinvention is exciting because, you know, many people maybe in your shoes, uh, obviously you, you've, you've gone through at length talking about the challenge of reinvention in terms of where you came from, sort of your backstory as an athlete and sort of reinventing yourself post Olympian career. Um, and obviously that's been well documented. I mean, there's, there's literally documentaries, uh, on this and you've talked about this, but I think it'd be instructive, um, to further get a sense of sort of who you are. Um, if you were to talk back about sort of growing up just a little bit, thinking about sort of being raised by a, a single father, immigrant father, um, and, you know, beyond that, from what I understand, um, you know, his demands upon you to be able to be great. So could you talk a little bit about that? Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm half Japanese. My father's Japanese, um, Japanese American. He moved to the U.S. when he was like 17 or 18 years old, didn't have any money, struggled like, you know, can anyone else who was coming to this country uh, didn't speak the language um, and began his life doing every sort of like odd job possible and imaginable just to make ends meet for himself. I was born, he divorced from my mom when I was very young. Um, and took full custody. So I was raised with my dad. And, I, you know, I think my dad had no idea what he was going to do, how he was going to raise me. And like many people who are kind of thrown into the fire, so to speak, you just have to figure it out and you have to adapt. And that's what he did. And so I saw from a very young age that my father cared about nothing else in life other than just trying to help me be able to stand on my own two feet by myself. So that was really, really interesting to see as I watched this kind of tough love and unconditional love for me when I was growing up, but also the level of expectation. And so we talk about often, you know, I grew up in the Seattle region where, you know, it rains all the time. And so for the first 14 years of my life was spent, you know, in and around like roller skating rinks, playing all different types of sports, just trying to like exhaust the amount of energy that I had uh, before I got home at the end of the day. And so I wouldn't drive my dad crazy. And it just was never the case. And so, you know, I'd seen this crazy sport of short track speed skating. My father um, at the time was always kind of dropping me off at these like roller skating rinks on Friday and Saturday night, just south of Seattle. And he thought it was a safe place for me. You know, I joined like the local inline speed skating club that was there. You know, my dad saw like this competitive drive, not only in myself, but also in himself, where he just believed so much that I could be and achieve these like astronomical performance metrics that I didn't even know what they were. And so that kind of was drilled into my head at a very early age, not only in terms of sports, but also academics. To give you an example, that there were several kind of like these higher education um advanced, not hired, but advanced learning programs that my father would like enroll me into, in which you have to take this, you know, you have to take a test kind of walking in and, and to see like your level of proficiency, if you're even able to, to continue. And, and um, I would like fail most of these things, A, because like I, I didn't even know what these, how these tests were about. B, um, I just had like severe ADD to the degree where I would just like, I remember one time being so sick and tired of my dad keeping enrolling me in these like these classes to basically take the test to see if I could even be admitted in. And I just like randomly started filling in those little circles with my pencil, you know, those like answer circles. Obviously it's like not going to do well. And I, you know, I finished like, you know, like 45 minutes before anybody else does. 
And I remember specifically the, 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 the professor, the teacher came to my dad and said, like, I think your son is like randomly generating these answers. I don't think he's actually <laughs> reading the question. Um, he's like, why do you say that? He's like, well, he's like, cause he's getting 1% of the answers. Right. Um, <laughs> Right. Like only 1%. She's like, I, I know he's like much, much more intelligent than this and smarter than this. And so my father, the reason why I tell you that story is because my father just would drill into me that anything was possible and that I had this like limitless potential internally. And over time, you you sort of start to kind of believe that. Um, but also was this natural conditioning of I was only really doing a lot of things early on, which was just to satisfy my dad's approval. Right. Hmm. I think many people can maybe relate to that. You just, you seek like the affirmation, the head nod of approval of that you're doing a good job. And then, you know, when I was like 12 years old, you know, my, my father was enrolling me in these like speed skating competitions and he had asked me um, where I would find the time to go and, and like train and practice. And I obviously didn't have any time because my dad was working all day long and I couldn't just take myself to the local skating rink and do it on my own. So he would wake me up at like three, three thirty in the morning, sometimes four 30 in the morning and take me to these empty school and church parking lots and then strap a miner's light to my helmet. And then basically just make me skate around these like empty parking lots while, you know, our like beat up Volkswagen rabbit was like there <laughs> um, with the lights on. Like, and, and it was, so, so that was drilled in quite early at a very early age. I talked about this in my book around kind of, I think that's probably where this first micro trauma occurred was, you know, when you're that young, you do not want to be at these locations like that early in the morning. You mean, and you should be sleeping right as a kid. But my dad saw things differently. He thought that I was basically at a disadvantage because we didn't have the resources, time, and energy to spend. And so he just had to drill into my brain that I was at a disadvantage, and because of that, I needed to do twice as much work as everybody else. And so I needed to go above and beyond what others thought was possible and break through that kind of glass ceiling of what people thought about. And so he was just. He was militant, you know, and, and it, it, I don't say it in like in a bad way. He just, he just believed that this was the path. So fast forward throughout that process. When I was 14 years old, I was ranked number one in the U S for short track speed skating. I had joined this program in upstate New York. It was like, it was weird because if you can imagine 14 year old kid still has braces, like doesn't know anything about life, but I'm beating grown individuals on this ice surface that I had only been skating on for like a year. And the rest of them had dedicated like 10 to 15 years of their life towards this moment. So there was this instantaneous friction that existed because I was technically captain of this team, but I wasn't, I wasn't effectively allowed to go out drinking with the team for like another seven years after these, after these competitions were over and after these banquets. So this is a weird situation, right? Like, how do I listen to this 14 year old kid who's better than me, but I'm like 37, you know, trying to make my last <laughs> Olympic team. It's just like a weird situation. Right. And I'm sure it caused a lot of kind of internal, I just wasn't paying attention to that. I give you that backstory because that's how my career kind of began. I originally saw short track speed skating on television during the 92, 92 94 Olympic games. I fell in love with it. I, tr I played all traditional American stick and ball sports and, and love them. At my core and thesis, like speed skating was just like, it's a really cool feeling when you're on the ice. It's like quiet. You can hear the crack of the ice beneath, you know, the blade. You feel the cool air like across your face. You can feel the speed, right? And it's all self-propelled and generated. And it's a very unique feeling. Like I would akin like very close to being and doing like being, a, like if you're able to fly, Mm -hmm. um, but like, well, if you're like, you know, in some sort of like a, you're jumping out of a plane or something, you're not propelling yourself, right? Like these are things that are, you're just kind of falling using gravity mm -hmm. and speed skating. Like you can see the directional push that directly translates into your speed increasing. This is a cool feeling. Um, and then racing was even more like tantalizing, like the ability to like use the opponent in front of you as their draft to have that, that sucks you in and then use that against them. Even if you're not faster than them using that to your advantage is like a really, really cool thing. And then all of the tactics involved. And then obviously the training was, was pretty brutal, but um, I, I just, I fell in love with the sport. I had a great career. You know, I went to three Olympic games. Um, I won a bunch of medals and the insights from those medals were deeply impactful. And I carry those life lessons with me today in terms of my own reinvention and how I can kind of have these master classes of stoicism. I always joke because short track speed skating, for those of you who have not watched this, is a sport where it is so volatile. I mean, you, you can train a lifetime for these sports and like at the snap of a finger, um, 
you know, your dreams and hopes are kind of dashed and gone. And so you're no longer able to win that race that you thought. So it's a very volatile sport, lots of changes that occur and the best person doesn't always win. So, you know, you, I think cognitively have to develop that type of mental strength to figure out what to do next. Yeah, man, it's such a unique backstory and and uh, upbringing. And I can imagine that many people who may have experienced a similar, um, you know, sort of childhood may have been broken by the circumstances, because I'm sure that that was very challenging to break through kind of mentally and and uh, with your own behavior. But obviously, you have uh, sort of this innate talent and gift towards this. And, and by the way, it's been, you know, obviously, I'm sure many of the listeners would agree with me and say, watching you is like, poetry. I mean, it's like poetry in motion and what you just described there in terms of flight. I mean, it almost gave me chills, Um, but it's really cool to see that, you know, the belief of your dad, you know, manifested into what you were able to accomplish on the ice and now what you're continuing to do um, as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, as an author. Um, But I would actually be curious. I mean, as you kind of go through this, you talked about stoicism, you talked about sort of mindset. I would actually love to know, at what point did you realize that mindset was the key to unlocking your potential? Because in the beginning, it was like pure effort, pure like yeah. grit, like just do whatever it takes. And at some point, it became something more than that. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I luckily, I was introduced into the world of sports psychology when I was, uh, when I was 15 years old. Um, there was a young uh, psychology major student who was, he was fascinated. His name was David Creswell, Dr. David Creswell now. He runs a high performance lab at Carnegie Mellon and all of his work is dedicated around how meditative practices and and the mind can overcome some pretty interesting diseases. He, he's just, he's he's been a phenomenal confidant for me for such a long time. Anyway, he's the first one who introduced this to me in a realm where I noticed, I didn't, I never knew how, self-defeatist that the mind could be mm-hmm. and how your thoughts directly impact the way that you actually move your body and perform and feel and and the energy associated. And I just thought it was just, I thought for the longest time it was BS. I just literally did. I was like, this guy doesn't know anything about our sport. He played tennis, but he's like, you know, he's not like a, a superb athlete or anything. And so we, we immediately, the team immediately dismissed this guy and his ideas. Um, and he just had this tenacity to say like, no, like these guys, you know, like you don't even know what you're missing yet. And he just stuck with it. And so I finally caved in at one point and started talking to him. And that's how my mind was opened up to the possibilities where I started to see in real time, you know, if we were playing basketball or like tennis or badminton or something, and even though it's just for fun and casual, you're still competitive. Right. And I, by Mm -hmm. the way, wanted to beat this guy every time just because of the, you know, because of the situation. Right. Um, it's like a lack of respect and it's, I should have had respect, but I had like a lack of respect there. So like, I feel like he shouldn't beat me because I was an athlete and therefore I was just better. Mm-hmm. It, it made no sense, but that was in my head. Um, and then he would like ask me these little questions during these competitions and say things like, Oh, like what was going through your head? And those last three points that you hit into the net. And I'm just like, Oh, I, what's going through my head is I want to like throw this racket at your face, you know, like, <laughs> He just got into my head in a way and he basically opened it up to show me what was actually happening, especially in times where I would lose a shot or I would make a mistake and it would happen again, or I would just have this self-deprecation that was unhealthy, right? Where I would talk myself down where I didn't need to be. It wasn't constructive and it wasn't strategic and it wasn't tactical in terms of viewing and understanding how these losses or failures or missteps were being construed and how I could embrace them by learning how to reset again. That was a really important. So I started reading. I started reading a ton of old literature that was, there was a lot of Canadian um, uh, psychology uh, professors who wrote some really interesting, unique um, case studies on kind of Olympic teams back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, The Eastern Bloc did some really interesting work in terms of understanding how to create like a superhuman. So I became obsessed with, um, one, I was like reading, and I was like 15, 16 years old. I was like reading these, I was reading this like literature that came from like Bulgaria and like the Soviet Union and other parts of the world when they were putting a lot of uh, money into their military system to find like how to create this superhuman. And a lot of this was deeply rooted in psychology. 
Um, and and it, it got, you know, it got very weird. There's all kinds of stuff that they experimented with, but as a part of that process, it became very clear that there was this untapped resource that we all take for granted. And a lot of that was within the mind. That was the first entrance. And then, you know, I worked with other sports psychologists and we use devices to kind of measure, you know, like your, your brain activity and, and, and learning how to lower your heart rate and learning how to deal with physical pain in extreme circumstances and all these types of things. And then I hired a strength and conditioning coach towards kind of the last half of my career, uh, like the last like eight years, of six years of my career. And this was a guy who came from like a powerlifting background. He spoke a little bit of a different language in terms of how he believed performance would be gauged and what was possible. You know, I didn't really understand what he was talking about, but he was the one that opened up my mind in the sport of how to reinvent myself. I had always wanted those things, but he was the one, you know, it's like if you're working out with a friend or with a trainer who says, no, no, you have two, you can do two more. Give me two more in here. You've already shut off and said you can't, but because that person is almost forcefully telling you that you can give me two more reps, give me four more reps. You somehow squeak them out. Mm -hmm. And he was very much in that realm, but to a very extreme degree. So like we used to do these insane uh, time under tension workouts where we would be in the leg press or the hack squat machine for like 12 minutes per set without uh, racking the weight. And and he effectively told me that in order for me to go above and beyond what others thought was possible, because I wasn't necessarily genetically designed in a great way for speed skating, like my, my, you know, my, my pelvis, like when you look at the, the, the anatomy of a human, you know, like their chest is up the pelvis is kind of tucked back, right? So to protect the spine in this upright motion, just like if you were going to get into a squat rack or you were going to do a push press, same thing. You want to have this like very straight um, access point, but in speed skating, you want the complete opposite. Your, your pelvis has to be tilted forward in a way. You know, he was telling me all these things about like, doesn't matter. Like you, you haven't even tapped in your potential. It's very similar to what my dad was telling me when I was younger, but also just the amount of extreme training that we did. It was just, it was a, it was like one of these workouts a day would have been enough. Right. And I, I mean, I, it's just was, I can't even explain to you like the intensity level that is there. Basically he taught the power of my mind by going through these training exercises that required you to be so much in tune with what you were doing and being so present um, because of the, uh, of, of this immense load to fatigue the muscle to a complete depleted state, right? And fatigue these muscle groups. And then immediately after basically depleting everything, the ATP, et cetera, like so much lactic acid in your legs, then grabbing dumbbells or putting a weight vest on and then doing like explosive jumps for like a 10 to 12 second period of time on one leg. And then that neuromuscular recruitment was something that was like, he was basically after, but it required you to first basically crush yourself. Mm-hmm. And then after you're crushed in this, like, you know, baseline state, that's when the work and the benefit actually happens because your brain and your body effectively think it's going to die. And it needs to recruit all of the dormant muscle fibers in the area that you're trying to um, recruit. And that a sense, you know, some of these dormant fibers, they, they never get recruited, like even your whole life, right? They're just there. They're just they're ancillary. They're not used unless you have some like obscene level of like adrenaline, norepinephrine that are kind of running through the system. Anyway, so I, I say this to you because from a mindset perspective, I had to basically capitulate what was successful in the past and instead embrace that this is going to be extreme and I can get through it. My body will adapt and my mind needs to lead the charge. It is in front of the chariot, right? It is going to first make a decisive decision around what will be required. And so a lot of this was, you know, I look, I was psychologically, I was like deeply fears, I had deep fears of failure in my life. I had, you know, still like addicted to this kind of self-saboteur where I was afraid of that failure so much that I would never allow myself to show up fully. You know, like you would set in front of you these like weird sabotaging roadblocks because subconsciously you don't want to show up at your best self and then it's simply not being good enough. Like that really sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to know that my best self, dude, you're just not smart enough. You can't make the cut. That's that like very emotionally painful to all of us. 
but it was much easier if you say, well, you know, like I, I was like focused on this thing. So I didn't put as much time into the sport as possible. So maybe there's like another percentage there that would have allowed me to be my best, right? This is like a BS nonsense. Right. Or an alibi, right? Exactly. That gives you a plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and, not and the me that's the problem. It's all these other things. Yeah. And so the, the, like the greatest commitment is like, no, you're jumping out of the airplane metaphorically with no parachute. If you land the target, you live. If you don't, you die. And that was the psychology that we had developed at a very early stage in that training process. But that, that was, so those are the two areas. And again, there's been many, but those are the two areas from a psychological perspective that it just showed me like how strong the, the mind can be. Cause I, I was doing things that my teammates who were genetically just better than I was like their natural test results on the Wingate test, which is the power output on a, VO2 max test on a, the jump test on a squat, like they, they were, they were superior, but then I was able to figure out that like, they just were not willing to go to these depths that I was willing to go day after day, after day, year after year, after year. And I would catch, I would catch up. So I was like a robot, you know, and they, my teammates thought I was completely insane because <laughs> whenever the, 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 the craziest workout was, I would embrace it. I just felt like it was always an opportunity there. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, my friend Damian Lupo just informed me that checkbook IRAs have been made illegal by the U.S. tax court. That means if you have a checkbook IRA, your holdings are now disqualified. That means taxes and penalties of up to 50% or more. Don't panic. Damien and the EQRP company can fix this. Lucky for you, those IRAs can be converted into EQRPs. Plus, you can do this retroactive to the last year, getting tax deductions and reducing your taxable income from last year. Want to invest your 401k or IRA in real estate, Bitcoin, gold, or even your own business? You can. Whether you're a full-time investor, retired, a dentist with dozens of employees, if you're listening, you qualify. The EQRP works and is your secret weapon. And now it's retroactive. They have your solution. By the way, if you got bad advice and use an IRA for an apartment syndication, you are sitting on a UBIT time bomb. But don't worry, there's a solution, the EQRP. The EQRP company is ready to help you get control of your money, kill UBIT, and help you pay way less taxes. Want to learn more about this strategy? Simply text the word ELEVATE to 307-213-3475 for Damien's brand new 2022 EQRP special report. Paying tax or letting Wall Street suck you dry is dumb. Your first step is freeing your retirement money by sending a text to 307-213-3475 with the word elevate. Yeah, man, thank you for that. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us that, you know, our mind can allow us to go forward or it can hold us back, right? Because our mind tells us to stop before our body or, you know, reality tells us, you know, that we really should be stopping. And one of the things that I've heard you say is our mind can be our single greatest asset or our greatest prison. And to me, it really resonates, but I'd love if you could expand upon that thought. It's a fine line, right? Like everyone in their life has these, these micro traumas or these incidents or these condition, the behavior conditions that get, you know, kind of almost, almost hardwired into your DNA as you go through life, right? Your routine in the morning, how you are in relationships. If someone talks to you in a way that you're unhappy with, how you, how you react, what happens in traffic, like all these things over time become normalized and conditions that you just, this is the way that you are. That's not true. You, you can break free from all those conditions. The prison of the mind thing or the greatest asset, when you're in alignment, I think with your purpose and with embracing that the work has always been the shortcut and trying to just be your absolute best self and live your best life versus listening to that voice inside that tells you that 
because you're not tall enough, because you're not smart enough, because you're not witty enough or funny enough or outgoing enough, um, whatever it might be, that you won't succeed. And you will buy into that. You'll buy into the fact that like, hey, that person has this or this advantage over me or that. And that's fine. Like maybe they do, but it serves you no right unless you're able to use those micro traumas as levers to propel you. And I, I say that again, because in sport, my experience has been the best athletes in the world have some incident or some condition in their life to where it provides some semblance of a chip on the shoulder or some lever that they're very good at leaning on to propel them to do things that are outside the norm. Michael Jordan, Michael Johnson, Michael Phelps, everybody has some story of a life that is a hard life that has allowed them to figure that out. And, and, and anyone who's seen the Jordan documentary, if you haven't, I really, I really encourage you to watch it from the lens of a psychological perspective. Okay. Just keep that in mind. As you watch the documentary, think about how he used his mind to propel him to these competitive states that others thought was completely insane. Don't forget, he wasn't like the hottest, you know, pick, um, you know, out of, out of, uh, out of, you know, his, his, his entire group. So yeah, he wasn't number one. He was not number one. Um, neither was Tom Brady. Neither in fact, was, he didn't you know, even make his high school team. Right. I mean, a lot of people forget that. A lot of people were like that, you know, this is, by the way, this is a reminder for me. Like I, I'm not perfect in this in any sure. sense. I just have been able to have the visibility to see when I've been able to do things that are incredible in sport and outside of sport. And when I listen to that other voice that keeps me constrained and holds back and afraid of risk. Again, like most of us never become who we could really become. And I'm just talking about like it, being as happy or being as fulfilled or finding and, and being your most authentic self really is what I really want to say here. Mm -hmm. And your most authentic self is someone who can do really, really hard stuff, can manage tremendous amounts of pressure, is able to adapt and figure out a new path. But you have to be willing to kind of understand that um, versus really stay stuck to this kind of previous history and world of conditioning, no matter what your background came from, financial situation, current situation, you always find a way. And I say that like broadly speaking, like obviously the mechanics associated with, okay, great. Like Apollo, you say that, you know, I've got this unforeseen talent and ability to kind of persevere throughout these hard circumstances. What do I do? And part of that process is like, you have to mechanically actually sketch that out. This is going to require work of you to say like, okay, it, you just, it's not going to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. I think Einstein said that, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the definition of insanity. And so you're going to have to make drastic changes in your life, either in terms of routine, in terms of how you live your morning, your evening, and or what you deem to be acceptable as your own personal expectations of raising your standard. And so when people typically say like, I'm sick and tired of this, I'm done with this, I smile because I love to hear those things because that to me initiates change, mm. right? And we want change. We seek progress and change. It's a part of the human experience. And if we don't get it, we feel like we're, it's like anything, right? Like if you're in your current career path or in your life and you feel like you're stagnant and there's no growth, even if nothing is going wrong, it's kind of painful. We, we need to see progress and improvement. Um, in some way, and the same way is doing it physically. And so I always tell people, like, if you want to make a big change, like change the body physically, right? And your mind will also kind of be in that area. So, you know, if you can change this, this the way that you move your body in that motion, it'll create the type of emotion associated with you being focused and aligned with whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. So that's very powerful. And I think about, you know, personal development as being a central theme of what you just described there and sort of integrating a routine or a way of living in terms of integrating that thought process and that constant evolution into the way that you approach your life. And you mentioned sort of that that desire to raise your standard, it almost starts with a bit of pain, 
to, to look, to step back and say, you know what, I'm not happy with the way that circumstances are, or maybe I see an opportunity to improve. I see, you know, that things can progress the way that I want them to. And sort of that's where you start. But I'd love to know, you know, from your vantage point, what does that look like for you um, in terms of raising your own standard? Because in many ways, many people, if they have had the background that you've had, let's rest on our laurels. You know, it's, Hey, we've done what we've done. You know, I've built a brand for myself and, and, you know, let's ride off into the sunset, but you continue to demand yeah. more of yourself. So give me a sense of what does that look like for yourself? Well, I've been lucky to not want to rest in my laurels. So my medals, they, they were on display when I was living in Los Angeles. I, I've since moved. And so I, I think they're like in a bag somewhere. <laughs> um, I just look, I, I don't, I guess part of it's, I don't see myself as this like you know, multiple medal winning champion. I, and I, and I don't know why that is. I just, you know, I, I know that I am, but I don't see it as like this unique attribute that I had amongst other people. I just feel like anybody could have done it if they really wanted it in the same way. Mm. And obviously there's like some other genetics and feel for the ice and some other stuff. So sure. I think like this, man, I, I think like when you think about like how I, or how, you know, all of us live our life and my, like my wanting to always reinvent I've noticed, especially during the past five years, that choosing the path that is the hard path is actually incredibly fruitful. And it may not be in the ways that we typically think of them, like financially rewarding or you know, more time. It, 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 I'll give you an example. My current role is, you know, I'm a partner in a fund called Tribe Capital. And it it's a it's it's a group that heavily relies on data science and analytics and engineering to make better investment decision processes. I have no computer science background. I didn't study it. I was never a venture capital guy. I'd understand. But saying yes to that and joining a team that I believe to be incredibly intelligent and such high cadence, it forces me to adapt. And these are the areas where we really can shine when all seems like chaotic. You try to struggle between, you don't want to be in this red zone area where everything's just too much and you're overloaded and you accept no information. Green zone is like current, staying in your current state. It's like comfortable, it's here, but it's, it's not pushing you. The yellow state is like it pushes you and it makes you stretch in a way where it's not too much, but it's enough to where it really, you know, you start to see these semblance of improvement. And so I've always just wanted to be successful in my own life outside of sport. And then two, what I really, really was able to absorb over the past decade was that I'm most happy when I see other people light the fire within. Meaning when I see people get like inspired and motivated or sick and tired of being sick and tired and they demand a change of themselves, an improvement. When I see a big, large scale company saying we need to innovate and we need to think more like a startup and we need to operate in ways that keep us much more dynamic and instead of being on our heels, but on our toes, that's exciting to me. And the reason why it's exciting is because I know the potentialities that exist within the human being. And I may not understand your business entirely, but if you've got humans on your team, I know that we can improve morale, culture, teamwork, effort, dedication, sacrifice, fulfillment, joy, whatever purpose, all those things can be elevated to a different degree. And that has been my new primary focus is I just love to see people win. And I feel like a lot of people had the same type of conversation internally with me. And a part of my own reinvention process was trying to embrace and see how I can use this strength that I have of communicating to other people, of connecting with them, and basically telling them, I've been through similar psychological conversations as you have. And I've interacted with other founders and people who've also been down the same road and path. And I can tell you, they're here and they're surviving and there is a way and you can figure this out. And so hopefully, you know, like in the book, we talk about these things called the five golden principles, um, you know, gratitude, giving, grit, gearing up and then go, you know, they all have elements that are important in our life. I feel personally that like just deeply grateful to even have the opportunity to talk about these things in an open and transparent way. And a lot of it is because I had to transform internally. I had to change the way that my mind worked and interacted with the world. I had to change it. And um, a part of that was that I didn't have all the answers and that I was less than and that it was okay. I was imperfect. And so self-acceptance 
was the first part to say like, just because you went around in circles really fast, doesn't mean you're going to succeed in something else. You need to figure out what those other natural curiosities are and then harness your power of attributes that you learn from sport, transfer them into what you're doing today. And so this has been this never ending quest to, uh, I think just improve, but also show and help others find their own path. Not to say that my path is the way you should follow, but like, how do I help you get just with your true North, get aligned with it so that you, you, you're being pulled versus being pushed. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because there is such a correlation and there is such a pattern in terms of the performance that you've been able to, um, you know, show in your life on the ice, but also off the ice. And that is about an internal transformation. It is about looking within it. It is about transforming internally. And I think about real estate investors. I think about folks that are building businesses businesses. And a lot of times it is about, you know, a tactic or a new strategy, or of course, you know, shifting your approach or building your team. But more so, I've found that it is about sort of looking within and understanding what sort of story is holding us back. And how can we propel forward? And one of the things I also think about in terms of when you think about pivoting, it's, you know, we've got to constantly embrace change um, because not only are external circumstances changing, but we're changing. And I love what you shared about, hey, you know, I found what makes me most happy. And that that knows that that's about finding what exists in terms of other human beings about taking things to the next level. So, you know, is there anything else that you would say about the book Hard Pivot and just the philosophy there? Look, the intentionality behind the new book is the following. Change is inevitable. Change is hard. There is always another path. And I think a lot of us live in this world of like hyper distraction, that it's very easy to live your life for somebody else um, that you don't know, by the way. Like, you know, this great sports psychologist, Michael Gervais, told me this, this moniker. He told me this thing one time. He's like, look, man, FOPO is real. Fear of other people's opinions of how you live <laughs> your life, how you conduct yourself, how you be who you are. Just like when you know, dance when no one is watching. Uh, dance like no one is watching, right? Like these, these are huge components, I think, that we have been conditioned to believe this is how you live your life. And I just want people to embrace the change in a way versus bracing for it, right? Really embrace it and understand that by doing so um, is going to kind of unearth new beginnings for you in ways that it's going to show so much more than you can possibly imagine. Just like if you had a horrible breakup in your life, in the relationship, and it feels like you just can't live and it's just, you know, your life's not going to be the same. After like a couple of years, you figured out like, hey, I actually, I'm okay. Like I have grown from that experience. And it was so important for me to go through that hardship in the moment, it, because we're so zoomed in, it's very hard. And so how do we zoom out? How do we take more accountability around this like life that is fleeting, that is finite, and just live in a way that's more aligned with our true values and, and belief systems? And that means, it doesn't matter changing your job. I'm just saying like how you do, how you conduct, how you act, and how you wake up on a daily basis is a gift. It's a gift and it's a chance to improve. And the more that you can reframe your mind into appreciating that life has been given to you, and it is a gift, regardless of circumstance or situation, I think it changes the perception of those problems into challenges and then into opportunities for growth. And if you can do that, it's you, you're going to live a different life. Your life's going to be different. Man, I tell you what, the the soundbite of embracing change rather than bracing for it is, man, that is a that's a game changer. And one of the hardest parts of embracing change is letting go to what the past was. Um, and I just appreciate you reminding that and bringing that to the forefront. And what a great example in terms of a relationship. I think we've all been there uh, in our own ways. And so we can reflect upon that. That is a reference that we can use moving forward, whether it's, you know, in our investing life, in our business or in our personal life, we can apply that moving forward. Apollo, before we transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast, I just wanted to ask you this question because I think it's powerful. I think it's important and something that you've lived. But if you were to give advice to anyone who has big dreams, you know, maybe they they want to live a big life. Maybe they they want to live this life of, you know, in extraordinary circumstances. Maybe they want to accomplish big things and they've they've uh, they, they've thought about how they can impact history and, and other people in a, in a large way. Is there any suggestions or tips or, or thoughts that you might share with them? 
Well, FOPO is one of those things because you're dreaming and, and a lot of these goals are going to be bigger than probably some of your peers or even the family that you have around you. They're most likely will tell you that it's not possible and that it maybe is not feasible and, and other people have advantages. And so you have to really live and act and, and behave in a way that is not out of fear of their opinion. You have to rat. If you feel this is your most authentic self, and your goals and dreams or aspirations are going to require you to do things that sometimes do not meet the status quo, right? That means you are going to have to do things that others are not willing to do. And all of the great philosophers, businessmen and businesswomen, athletes, actors, whatever you're, have always done things differently, right? I think the, the, the commonality there is that like the work is always the shortcut. And so mm-hmm. the more that you can just truly just focus on the fact that this is not going to be a nine to five. Anyone who's trying to do something that is extraordinary is typically not balanced in their life. And so I I know we like to talk about balance and I think it's important for overall health of your life. But if you are one of those individuals that is so levered up because you want something so badly, don't, don't shy away from that. Like that is very powerful and use it to your advantage. It doesn't mean that you alienate people from you It doesn't mean that you say like, you don't understand me because you are less than like people like, and and can embrace things in their life that are maybe less attractive to others. And that's fine. Remaining committed, being obsessive in a way, in a healthy way is very, very powerful. Just realize the one thing that you were on a treadmill and you can get off anytime you want. Okay. Like really important. As long as you know that you're playing the game of life and that you're getting back on the treadmill, which is fine, all these like man-made beliefs of things and things that are like important to you, like this, you know, to chase, it's fine chasing them. No problem. Just understand that you are actually the conductor of your own train. You're the, you're the governor of your own speed limit and you can manage how fast and how slow that you operate through these chapters of your life. So if you're someone who's young, who's seeking this, amazing. Do not be afraid. Make sure you equip yourself. Make sure you do the work necessary in terms of the knowledge and the information that you need to seek. And then you want to really upgrade? Be around people who have done that. Seek them out. Be relentless, respectful, but be relentless in that pursuit. People always want to teach. They always want to help others. I just firmly believe that. Um, And you just got to find a way to be that sponge. Apollo, my goodness, I'm so glad I asked you that question. What a phenomenal set of guidance. And I think the one of the biggest patterns that came from the earlier part of the discussion was embrace the work. You know, the secret is there is no secret. It's do things that others are not willing to do. If you want to live an extraordinary life, it's about a tremendous and extraordinary commitment. And it's a relentless commitment. And I love the respectful part of that as well. Apollo, man, I could go for hours and days, in fact, but I want to be respectful of your time. I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air question. Of course, what we've been talking about in this, the example that you've set has been rare. It's been uncommon, extremely uncommon. And so I'd love to ask you a few questions, of course, being a uh, prolific author yourself, and obviously with uh, being a, a multiple New York Times bestselling author, I'd love to know uh, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Man's Search for Meaning from Viktor Frankl. I mean, Ryan Holiday has produced great work. So any of his work is pretty phenomenal. I love uh, Joseph Campbell's A Hero of a Thousand Faces. Oh, and then Man and His Symbols. Uh, so, you, you know, Carl Jung, Jungian philosophy. I think um, I, I like things that that typically, I've like, I'm bifurcated. I like things that are like deeply, sorry, that this is rapid fire. So those are the books. No, this is good. <laughs> Please expand if you if you'd like to. No, I just, uh, I, I, I like things that are deeply rooted in, in like history, but also psychology of the human experience. Yeah. It, 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 I think we're, we're, we're tending to have some level of repetition here in some mm-hmm. capacity. So we're evolving in terms of technology, but this is the most important thing that we have to embrace and, and evolve. That's a really good point. I think about, you know, the level of information that we have today, communication, technology. It's not about more information, but it is about insight and wisdom. And I think what you're yeah. describing is that. Apollo, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? The, the biggest way I elevate my life? I think yeah. it's doing stuff like this, man. Um, I mean, my days are filled like back-to-back calls, um, talking to founders and, and new projects and companies. And when I have a chance to kind of speak about some of these things that are, I think, a little bit more human 
um, around a lot of the challenges that all of us go through and how we can overcome those challenges and use them as opportunities, I think are, that's what makes me feel fulfilled. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And I feel like that might lead into this next question, but I'd love to hear if you were to take it a step further. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Well, I hope that this book helps, right? This is going to be the first book in a, in a multiple series of books kind of in and around the same topics. I, I typically see the best in people. I don't know why, um, but I just do. And sometimes blindly so, and it's sometimes it's, it's bad, right? Um, if, especially if it's like in business, but I always see the best in people. Uh, and so that has been something that I look for is how do I see the best in each person and help you live that more best self? Uh, versus the other sides. Well, you've done that today. And um, I just appreciate you again, uh, for showing up being present with me pouring into Elevate Nation, our listeners, and um, really providing so much value. I want to acknowledge you, Apollo. I mean, you've been an amazing advocate for athletes, but also performers and people that have a desire to, you know, have an impactful life and uh, reach sort of the upper limits of their own potential. And I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for what you're continuing to do. I'm excited to see what happens in your future as well. Um, I, we will definitely put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find Hard Pivot, your newest book and, and your other work as well. But Apollo, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? The parting thoughts are, look, it's, it's like my book, right? I, I, I want people to embrace change, find purpose and show up fully. Super simple, right? Those three things are critical to your success in any way, shape or form. And so just live, live these 86,000 400 seconds per day in the best way you can. You're probably going to lose most of those to like negativity and self-defeatist attitudes, but you can win some of them. And so I try to hold on to them. And the last thing is just life is a gift. So because it's this incredible gift and you only get one shot, make sure you live it, man. Make sure you live it. Apollo Ono. Thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate you being a part of Elevate Nation. Um, tell the listeners where they can best find you and engage with you uh, on the internet or, or elsewhere. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Apollo Ono. Um, you go to my website, ApolloOno.com. Outstanding. We'll put links in the show notes. Of course, Apollo, until next time, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Elevate Nation. Are you serious right now? Um, did that just happen? Did we just hang out with Apollo Ono, the great the most decorated U.S. Winter Olympian of all time, um, thinking about expanding our potential, thinking about maximizing our potential, thinking about taking our life to extraordinary levels, th taking our business to extraordinary levels. You know, it's about having someone to believe in us. It's about understanding our own psychology. You know, what sort of conversation are we having with ourselves subconsciously, consciously? How does that relate to the behavior that we're taking in our business, uh, the behavior that we're engaging in personally that's leading us to a greater set or a, a lesser set of skills and, you know, interaction, potential influence? Um, you know, I just think about this so deeply and I'm just excited about this because as we dive in, there's such a correlation in terms of greatness athletically, greatness, performance wise in business and living a life of fulfillment, um, you know, because really that's what this is all about. I mean, why are we building a real estate business, right? Why are we growing our influence? Why are we developing more relationships? Of course, you know, there's, there's a personal aspect to it, but, um, you know, I think many folks would, would agree that there's a purpose beyond that and it's to live a life of happiness and fulfillment. And I think that we owe it to ourselves to empty the tank and to get everything that we can out of ourselves. And to me, I think that's a part of living a life of fulfillment. And I just appreciate the example that Apollo has set in his life in terms of his own work ethic, in terms of the way that he's continued to look within, the way that he's continued to delve into the depths of his mind, understand how that relates to other human beings across history and what patterns he has been able to observe and implement in his own life and the way that he approaches his work. It's very, very exciting. And, um, you know, embracing change, embracing the fact that, you know, the work is the secret, right? That's the shortcut. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big deal right there. I think about, you know, if you have big dreams and I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you have big dreams, you want to do big things. You want to go 10x, you want to go 100x, whether it's, you know, in business output or whether it's in other things, right? You want to live this extraordinary life. And it comes down to doing things that other people are not willing to do. It comes down to diving into our own psychology. It comes down to asking ourselves questions. It comes down to asking ourselves more. It comes down to 
um, making a commitment to doing things that other people are not willing to do. It makes, it comes down to making a commitment to pushing through hard things, like really, really, really hard things, um, that our mind wants to tell us that we can't do. When I think about the, um, you know, the workouts that Apollo was sharing with us early in his, um, Olympian career, I can only imagine how grueling that is. I mean, I think about some of these workouts that I do and I'm like the whole time I'm like, okay, made it through another minute. And, um, you know, that's, that's our mind speaking to us. And that's the, the weak part of our mind saying, give up, stop, quit, throw in the towel. Um, and that's a constant conversation. And, um, I'm excited about the opportunity to recommit um, to that work, recommit to doing things that other people are not willing to do. Um, embracing that FOPO, you know, fear of other people's opinions. I've never heard that. But, um, you know, I think if you're wanting to do big things, there's going to be other people's opinions and say, look, you can't do that. Or why would you want to do that? Um, and so we have to be aware of some of these saboteurs, whether they're external or internal. Um, that could hold us back. And I just, I could go on and on. I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much that, you know, we think about self, uh, self-talk, you think about visualization, you think about leveraging the dark side. I mean, you know, Apollo was talking about Michael Jordan and it, it made me think of, you know, what he actually did. And one of the ways that he leveraged his own dark side was he would convince himself that someone on the other team thought that he was better than him. And no one ever said that, right? They didn't say that they were better than him, but he convinced himself that someone did. And he leveraged this dark side within him that this ultra competitor would not be defeated. And it was like, he needed to find something to drive him and he would put on this unbelievable performance. And so, you know, it's understanding that dark side, it's understanding that self-talk, it's like what moves you and, um, you know, really putting that into practice. My goodness. I mean, just the work ethic uh, going back to Apollo is just unbelievable. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't get a chance to talk to him about was in 2010, he literally left nothing on the table. Um, and he he mentioned this many times in our conversation today, but he, he didn't feel like he was this just ultra sort of designed athlete, you know, from a genetic perspective that was just pure talent, you know, and so he always just embraced this ultra work ethic. And, and in 2010, he showed up to the Olympics with 2.5% body fat. Like I can't even fathom 2.5% body fat. So you think about the work ethic and the commitment from a nutrition standpoint, from a, uh, you know, from a, from a workout standpoint. And, you know, you talk about two, two a days, three a days. Um, you think about just drilling down into the details. And so he's like, look, I'm not leaving anything on the table. I, I I'm here to win. I'm here to be a champion. And I think, um, you know, whether we take it to that extreme or not, there are clues. There are clues in terms of um, the way that you interact with your mind and the way that that interacts with how you show up and how you commit. And there's a, a big difference in interested um, in greatness and committed to greatness. And I think Apollo has showed us what that difference truly is and how that can manifest in reality. So, you know, if you're a real estate investor and you're listening to this and you're thinking, all right, well, I want to create more cash flow. I want to buy more deals. I want to grow my portfolio. I want to grow my investors. I want to improve my relationships. This is all relevant to that. So what conversation are you having today? And what are you doing today that other people are not willing to do? Is that true to your authentic self as well? I think that's another critical, critical piece to this um, is, you know, if you want to do extraordinary things, take a step back and recognize, is this something that, you know, you're, you're stacking on top of this, you know, subconscious belief that you're not good enough, or is it true to your authentic self that that's what you really want? And that will create a fulfilling life for you. So taking some time to, to, uh, to understand that I think is critical. It's important. It's exciting. It's unbelievably uh, transformative. So I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast today. Um, I'm giving it to you with uh, all of the gratitude in my heart because uh, it's been a dream for me to be able to speak to Apollo and, um, you know, touch on some of these subjects. And of course, 
as you know, I could have gone literally for hours and hours and hours, and uh, perhaps we'll have another opportunity to delve in uh, in a deeper capacity as well. But I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because there's a tremendous amount of depth to this conversation. Um, there are some things in there. There's some sound bites that can really transform the way that you see reality and the way that you interact with your life and the way that your life can unfold. And of course, your business, your cash flow, your freedom, your relationships, whether personally, professionally, the way that you lead your family, the way that you lead other people in your business or otherwise. This is a game changer. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I want to encourage you to have a discussion with someone else. Maybe you have a discussion with your business partner. How does what Apollo Ono shared today relate to what you're looking to accomplish in your business, whether it's this year, the next three years, the next 10 years? What are some things that you have not yet fully committed to doing that others aren't willing to do themselves? What is it that you feel like maybe there's a, an, another two, three, four, five gears that you can step up your commitment to? What sort of discomfort have you not been fully embracing? Uh, I want to encourage you to really, you know, jot those down. Maybe have a little bit of a journal session. Maybe go on a walk and just kind of think about those things and see what comes up and uh, be willing to have a little bit of a conversation with yourself and embrace that change and lean into the hard pivot. I want to encourage you to, you know, share this episode with a friend and um, really have this discussion. As I mentioned, the most important part here is to take massive action. The massive action may relate to putting something on the calendar, right? It may be just putting something on the calendar to say, hey, here's when I'm going to research X, Y, and Z. Here's when I'm going to redo my goals. Here's what I'm going to do to recommit. Maybe it's a statement. Maybe it's a recommitting statement to this extraordinary dream uh, that you may, that you might have. So with all that said, man, I'm just so excited, so thankful to be able to give this to you. Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, we will see you then. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.